Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from the letter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. This is God's Word. So that you also may know how I am, this is Paul speaking, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the very reason that it stands forever. The words of men come and go. The words of nations and cultures are here today and gone tomorrow. But the word of the Lord stands forever. In a time where there is so much transientness and where things are here today and fading tomorrow, we need something sure. We need something certain that we can bank on that won't disappear something that we can put our trust and our hope in. We know that is who you are. We know that you are worthy of our trust. And thus, as we come here to your word, even now to listen to you, that we can trust the word which you have spoken to us. Would you give us hearts of faith? Faith to trust you in all that you would speak to us. Even now, open up our hearts to this word that you have spoken through your servant, the Apostle Paul. Illumine this word and bring it to light that we might behold today yet again wonders from this, your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hard to believe we're at the end of Ephesians, friends. Didn't we just get started? Didn't we just get started? And you're saying to yourself, no, if I'm looking at my bulletin, this is part 30 in the study of Ephesians. So you have spent, Nate, more than, you know, better part of a year in this particular book. But boy, it just, I could stay in it. I could go to Ephesians part 52 and and make it a year in this book. I'm not going to. You may have read your pastoral notes this morning and even know that we're going to be pivoting to the Old Testament as after we finish the book of Ephesians today. We'll be beginning next week a seven-week series in the prophet Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, which will take us all the way up to the season of Advent. Now that should make you a little nervous. That means we're getting close to Thanksgiving and Christmas and All of those high holy days. So looking forward to the exploration of the prophet of Malachi with you 
a book that I would imagine maybe is not as familiar as the book of Ephesians to some of us here in this room. And it will be a joy to hear from the Lord through that wonderful prophet. You'll actually find this morning, and I want to encourage you to pick this up, a brand new Cornerstone devotional that will lead us through our study of the prophet Malachi. You'll actually find it this morning as you exit. You may have caught one on the way in this morning, or you can find them as you exit through this door here as well. There'll be readings and prayers and opportunities to memorize the Scripture together as we look at the study of the book of Malachi. I'm really looking forward to what it is that the Lord has in store for us in this study. But I want to give thanks this morning for all the ways that the Lord has really worked in our lives as a congregation through this letter of Ephesians. I mention it just by passing in the pastoral notes today. So many testimonies about how the Lord has been at work uh, through this letter. And I have been deeply heartened and encouraged by the ways in which you have expressed in particular and specific ways that the Lord has used the truth of this letter in your life. I want to continue to hear those encouragements and hope that you're sharing those with others in your home fellowship groups or in your Bible studies. It's always important for the congregation of God's people to give testimony to one another. It encourages us, doesn't it, when someone shares about what the Lord has been doing in their life through His Word. It's been deeply encouraging to me to work my way through the book of Ephesians. I'll admit to you that when we started this study, I thought to myself, this will be very good for the congregation. Uh, we, We need so many of the themes that are in this letter Uh, some specific teaching on particular areas, a rich, abiding study of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but a practical study as well that's going to get into all the different spheres of our life. And then, lo and behold, I got into the letter and thought, oh, this is good for me. This is really good for me. Oh, I need to hear this. This is very important. And I am in in some ways ashamed at that, in other ways not surprised or ashamed at all. That's how the Lord often works in my life. Uh, by surprising me uh, that he is reminding me that you are the object of my ministry each week as we are in the midst of worship. And though that is very true as we come together today to this closing in the letter of Ephesians. Now you might remember if you were with us at the beginning of this study of this wonderful letter, we described the church at Ephesus as Paul's sweetheart church. As Paul's sweetheart church, he actually ministered here three years, and from best of we can figure, is probably the longest place that the Apostle Paul ministered. And when you look at the book of Acts, and specifically the section on the church at Ephesus in the book of Acts, in Acts 19, you see that Paul had a deep love for this congregation, and indeed he wept when he left the elders for the very last time and charged them in the Lord. Um, He knew the names and faces of this congregation. He knew so many of their stories. He had a deep, deep love for this congregation. And it makes sense then, doesn't it, that as he concludes this love letter, so to speak, to the sweetheart church, that we see his love on display in these final greetings to this beloved church. And I want to look at this greeting, this final greeting with you in just two ways this morning as we explore these few verses. I want you to see that Paul's love is displayed in the person that he sends to them. And I want you to see his love is displayed in the peace that he extends to them. 
I want you to see his love in the person that he sends to them, Tychicus here in this text, and I want you to see his love in the peace that he extends to them. Both of those things here in this text. And we're going to start with this person Paul sends to them. Now, it was common for the Apostle Paul, we know this based upon other evidences and other letters, that Paul dictated his letters. He normally did not take up a pen like some of you are doing right now in writing notes this morning. Paul actually spoke and had a scribe who was next to him who would write down his uh, letters. He often, however, would pick up at the very end of his letters, the pen, and he would write a kind of final greeting to those in whom he was he was writing to that was in, the intent of the apostle paul with that was to authenticate this letter believe it or not in the ancient near east fake news was a thing as well where people would write letters and pretend to be someone else and there were ways to authenticate that that's one of the reasons why paul is saying i'm sending this specific brother to you to deliver this letter and this is my greeting so that you know that this is me And we know that just by studying in the ancient Near East how many false gospels showed up and how many fake letters. And so the Apostle Paul regularly took up the pen at the very end of his letters. He quit dictating and he would actually indicate, you can know this is me by my handwriting. Like listen to the way that he writes at the end of Colossians. See with what large letters I am now writing to you. So whatever we know about Paul's handwriting is that he wrote large letters. Uh, some assume that he actually had something of an eye problem, and so he wrote larger. That might have been his thorn in the flesh, some have actually argued. Uh, at the end of Colossians uh, chapter 4, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So you'll know. Second Thessalonians 3.17, we read, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of the genuineness of my letter. It is the way I write. So there you see Paul authenticating uh, the letters that he writes so that those who receive them will know that they're genuinely from him. Is Paul writing this section in the book of Ephesians? Well, we can't totally be sure. But more than likely, he has dictated this letter and he has likely taken the pen in hand. Um, Is it possible that Tychicus is actually his scribe? It's actually very possible. It's clear that this one is actually with him while he is in prison. This is one of the Apostle Paul's prison letters. And so Tychicus undoubtedly as a partner in ministry is at Paul's side likely helping him in so many ways that he couldn't take care of himself while being in prison. And not unlike the Apostle Paul, in his letters, if you've studied them, you'll see at the end of his letters, he cites people. He gives so-and-so a greeting. He admonishes so-and-so to get along with one another. And he'll name people. He calls out names at the end. And he does that here with Tychicus simply by naming his partnership with him. Notice how he describes him. He is a beloved brother. He's like family to me. He's family to me in Christ, but even more so, he's one that is drawn into my love. He is a beloved brother, and he is a faithful minister. He's one who serves alongside me. He's not just one who who, who cares for me specifically, of whom I have affection. He's one who is laboring alongside me in the call of the gospel. He is a faithful minister. 
When you read the book of Colossians, you actually find Tychicus' name there as well in chapter 4. It's quite possible that Tychicus is actually carrying the letter of Ephesians and Colossians at the same time to those two churches. In fact, he describes him at the end of Colossians by these words. Maybe you'll recognize them. Here is Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister to you. Same language. He uses the same language to describe Tychicus in Colossians. Now, who is Tychicus? Now, I know you know his detailed biography, and so this will be repetitive for so many of you. But just a few notes about this man, Tychicus, who, be honest, none of us know who this is. Acts 20, verse 4, Tychicus is mentioned as an Asian believer. He's alongside listed by a man by the name of Trophimus, and Trophimus is actually described as an Ephesian. It's possible that Tychicus, as an Asian believer alongside Trophimus, is actually one from the church at Ephesus. He might be an Ephesian himself. It's possible that as Paul worshipped and ministered there in Ephesus, that Tychicus became one of his partners in ministry and then traveled alongside him on his missionary journeys. Whatever the case, we know that this trusted brother and faithful minister was one who did travel regularly with the Apostle Paul. His name shows up several times in Acts. He is believed to be the very person who took the Jerusalem offering to the poor of which Paul was collecting throughout much of his ministry. When we read of all of Paul's adventures and his ups and downs and, and uh, successes and calamities in ministry, it's likely that Tychicus was close at hand. He was a kind of right-hand man to the Apostle Paul. And notice why he's sending Tychicus to the church at Ephesus. Well, he doesn't mention this, but it's implied he's taking to them the letter of Ephesians. There's no post office, you understand. So this is a hand-delivered letter from Tychicus. But not only is he going and bringing Tychicus this letter, he wants to tell specifically the church at Ephesus how I am doing. I want you to get a personal verbal report from my beloved brother and trusted servant whom you know well, Tychicus, and you know he's going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you exactly how I am and what I am doing. In a sense, Tychicus is bringing two epistles to the church at Ephesus. He's bringing a written epistle written by the word of God through the instrumentation of Paul who was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he's bringing a personal report about the man and the ministry of the apostle Paul whom the church at Ephesus loved very deeply. This is both a written and verbal telegram that the church at Ephesus is getting, getting through the service of Tychicus. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the kind of love and care that Paul had for this church at at Ephesus because, well, this church was one that would have been worried about him. Why do I say that? Well, because of the deep relationship they've had. They have just learned that the Apostle Paul is in prison. What if you had learned that one of your beloved servants who had preached to you the gospel, who had served among you for years, was now in prison? Would you want to know how he is doing? Would you want to get a personal report with regards to his health and his well-being? See the love of the Apostle Paul here? He's saying, listen, I'm not going to take up time in the letter to talk about me. I want to tell you about the truth of the Word of God. 
But I also know that your fears and worries and concerns about thy health is a part of the nature of the body of Christ. That servants love their, theirs and who they care, and, their, and those in whom they care for love those servants. And the Apostle Paul here is showing his care by recognizing the fact that they would have been worried about him and wanted to have an update. But not only that, they would have been worried about the ministry. Notice he says, how I am doing and, and what we are doing. They would have been worried about the ministry. If Paul is in prison, is the gospel going forth? Is the gospel advancing? Is there any fruit to the gospel that's coming through the Apostle Paul's ministry. What is actually happening now for the advance of the kingdom of God? Has, has other men have risen? Have, have there other servants who have stepped to the fore? This would have been part of the question that would have been on the hearts and the minds of the church at Ephesus as Tychicus comes and delivers to them this epistle. It's wonderful, isn't it, to think about the importance of this man Tychicus for a minute. Someone that if we weren't talking about him this morning, you would have never thought about him, right? And how often when you go to the end of the letters of the Apostle Paul, you run through all of those names and you think to yourself, there's probably a story here, but I don't know what it is. But here is this beloved brother and faithful minister and servant of the Lord who is behind the scenes carrying along the ministry that would not happen without his service. Do you know behind every Apostle Paul... Behind every great servant whom you know the name of are many behind-the-scenes servants of whom you don't know the name of, whom the Lord is using for the advance of His kingdom. Let's be honest, that's most of us, isn't it? I mean, there won't likely be history books written about most of us in this room. And a few generations from now, our names will actually be forgotten. Except for the fact that behind the scenes, trusted servants laboring for the cause of the gospel, extending and supporting the work of the kingdom, will last, their legacy will last into eternity and will never be forgotten by the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father who is in heaven. What a beautiful display that is. This trusted servant, who we know just a few random details about, is one of Paul's most faithful ministers one in whom he could entrust himself with. Boy, I was just this week thanking the Lord for the Cornerstone staff, for our elders and our deacons, for so many of you who are teaching Sunday school and assistance. And today there are, there are people who are, who are conducting meetings and being sure that we're uh, secure. There are watchmen at work. There are all kinds of things that are happening every time that we gather and all throughout the week. Even the Sheridan family themselves, as we had a medical event this week, we had, we had spaghetti show up at our house. We had roast beef show up at our house. We had all kinds of care that was given. Trusted servants, beloved brothers and sisters, carrying along the cause of the gospel, thinking about how to advance the love of Christ both within and from without. Testimonies this week of evangelism and mercy ministry happening in and through this congregation. Holy, risky conversations that were had for the purpose of seeing the gospel go forward and likely won't be publicized on the evening news. Praise the Lord, actually. Underneath the surface in these trusted, faithful, no-name, so to speak, servants, the Lord is actually hard at work through people like Tychicus through people like you, and through people like me. Praise be to His name.
This is where we see the person that Paul sends and his love that's displayed and the lessons that we glean from these final greetings are heartening and encouraging to our hearts, aren't they? If the Lord can use someone like Tychicus, He can use someone like you and me in the work of the ministry. But not only do we see the person that he sends, notice, secondly, we see the peace that he extends. We see the peace that he extends. Isn't that how the language of this greeting actually starts in verse 23? Peace be to the brothers. Now, we spent some time at the beginning of our series looking at how letters are introduced in the ancient Near East, and we showed how the Apostle Paul used the customary greetings of the ancient Near East in his letters that he wrote, but he actually Christianized them. Instead of using just the normal verbiage or vocabulary for those greetings, he employed theological and doctrinal terms. He does the same thing here at the end. It would have been common in the ancient Near East to finish a letter with well wishes, you know, wishing for um, well-being or prosperity or, or um, uh, some kind of worldly good. Well, notice that Paul here well wishes us at the end of this letter, peace be to the brothers, but he's Christianizing it. He says, peace to the brothers, remembering that the kind of peace that we have is not the kind that the world gives. It's a very different kind. Think of how important this would have been for the people of, of Ephesus to hear. We've noted several times in our series that not only is the Apostle Paul going through trial and is in prison, what's the church at Ephesus dealing with? Attack? and Persecution? Uh, They know that they are in the midst of a bullseye in their followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of these young believers in their faith. Uh, Notice that the Apostle Paul has just spoken to them about the armor of God. That doesn't exactly conjure up images of peace. When you're talking about shields and swords and breastplates, what, what does that conjure up? Images of war. And they're in a spiritual war. And he has equipped them for the spiritual war. And in the midst of the spiritual war, here's what I say to you, brothers. Peace to you. Peace to you. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the war, in the midst of the attack, I call upon peace. Because the peace that is yours is not the kind that the world gives. You know how we tend to think about peace, don't we? We tend to think about it circumstantially. We had several wonderful mornings this week, didn't we? When it was in the mid to upper 50s. I think even this morning, I think that was true. There was a couple of mornings where I actually rode my bike to church. It was just so nice. I actually had to wear a jacket one morning, which was great. Yeah, so I got here one morning. I've ridden my bike to the church. And I'm just, you know, sunrise is just barely coming over the horizon. It's a glorious, you know, cloudless morning. It's, it's, it's marvelous. And I get here. And then as I get here, I look down and I realize, oh, I've got grease from my bike that is now kind of all over my, my leg this morning. And then I go, my goodness, you know, here I thought it was a good idea to ride my bike. And now, you know, I, I was, it was so peaceful. I was praying on the way, and now I'm upset because I've got this grease on my... And so I was like, I need some coffee. And so I go up to my, my office, I make some coffee, run to the restroom, I come back and I look in my coffee cup, and there's a fly in my coffee cup. <laughs> a wonderful cup of coffee, just totally ruined. And I thought, well, this day is getting off to a grand start. 
I've got, got grease on my leg. I've got, that's circumstantial peace, right? What I had dreamed of was no grease on my leg and, and a kind of peace of sipping my coffee and enjoying the morning, right? That circumstances would speak to me of, of peace. Jesus says in John 14, 27, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace I give to you. Now notice when Jesus says that. He's not saying that I give you a peace. He's saying the peace that is mine. The peace that I possess, I'm giving it to you. The peace that I share in perfect solidarity with my Father and in the mission that He's called me to, a peace that is not of this world, that is literally of a kingdom that is not of this world, that peace I give to you. That peace you can have in the middle of war. In the middle of spiritual warfare, Ephesians, you can actually labor in that war with peace as the basis of your life. Now, how does, how does that happen? How does that kind of peace actually happen? Well, he, he tells you here, doesn't he? He says it comes through love. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. We often connect peace and love. We often connect these two. Some of you grew up as childs of the 60s and 70s. You connect peace and love. But not in the way that Jesus means it here. But we do connect, don't we, relationships with peace very often. You know, you remember that special someone that you thought that when you married him or you married her, that through their love you were going to come into amazing peace. Your life was just going to be go swimmingly, right? And then there were other longings that arose up within you as a couple and you thought once we have children, that's where the peace is going to come. The delayed reaction on that one. <laughs> but then you think, I look to people who I respect, and if they honor me and acknowledge me or say nice things about me, then I'll be at peace. Or if I have a close friend or two who I can really share my heart with and they with me, that's where ultimately peace will come. Now, do we receive peace in these relationships? We do. Real peace. But not the kind of peace ultimately that comes from the love that's in Christ Jesus. Because the love of those people for you and the love of you for them waxes and wanes. And the peace is often ruptured. When he says love with faith here, he says you need to know how the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ has loved you. How has the Father loved you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, just pondering that a little bit this week and thinking to myself, well, I had some time with my little girl this week, right? Holding her, putting some medicine, you know, working on the medicine that she would be well. And you know, you have those sweet moments with your children when they're really, really young. You have sweet moments when they're older too, but I'm thinking of the young ones right now. And holding her and seeing her at peace and, and just, you know, how sweet it is. She holding your, your hand and smiling at you and all of those things that just melt parents' hearts. And then you think, I, you know, I would do anything for this little one. You've felt that, haven't you? 
I would do anything for this little one. I would lay down my, my life for this little one. And indeed you would. You would step in front of an oncoming train if necessary for that, that one in whom you love. And that would be appropriate. That's actually of the nature of the love of a parent for a child. What kind of love would you need then as a parent to actually sacrifice your child? It would be the kind of a deeper, almost otherworldly love. A different kind of love altogether. How great is the Father's love for us that He would sacrifice the thing most precious to Him. What would that say to you that the Father would actually give up His own Son for you? What well, actually says how deep His love is for you, you see. That He would be willing to give up the thing most precious to Him in order to gain you. How amazing is that love? I can't even fathom it as a parent. And yet our Father loves us so much that He would have given up His only Son to the sufferings, to the curses, to the wrath of His Father, all of which was due to us, was ultimately poured out on Him in order that we might be saved. Do you see how deep the Father's love is for you? You get to catch a sense of how deep the Father's love is for you and then catch the sense of the depth of the Son's love. You might say to yourself, oh man, what a terrible experience as a son. Indeed it was. You've watched the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross. What a terrible experience. How could a father actually give his only son for this? There's something demonic about that. There's something wrong and, and evil about that. Well, then you get to know the Son. And you realize that the Son has willingly laid down his life for you. That the father had determined it and gave his son. The son went willingly. The son, out of love for you as well, laid his entire life down to be able to make you his own, to be your savior and to be your Lord and king. Do you see how when you begin to have love with faith, when you receive that kind of love and you trust it and you see it and you understand, as he says here, the grace of the Lord will be with you, you begin to understand what the Apostle Paul is doing here. You see what he's doing, right? He's pressing in the gospel to the church at Ephesus here at the end. He's like, remember all that I've written to you in the letter. Remember the love of God for you. Because you're going to have the rulers in Ephesus point arrows at you, put you in prison. You're going to have persecution come on my behalf. You need to remember the love that the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ has for you because once you know that kind of love, you're going to know a peace that surpasses all comprehension. You're going to know that peace. It's a peace that is based on, on overwhelming, unfathomable depths of grace. Grace be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. You know, really, if you were to get to the very core of the human being, isn't it? We want to be loved for who it is we are. And be truly known. We're afraid of being truly known and rejected. That's why we put up fronts. We tell people so little. We don't want the shame. We don't want the, the fear and the concern, the potential of rejection. But we want actually all to be known and then in that all known to receive all the love 
And that's what we have in Christ. You see, that's the difference between love and actually, well, in some sense, what we would call law. Some of us are in relationships, we know what this feels like, to feel like we have to work in order to maintain the relationship. We're always doing in order to keep that person happy or loving us or moving towards us, to be at peace with them. You know your relationship with the Lord is not like that. Your relationship with the Father is not like that. The love of the Father for you comes in and through the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been credited to your account. You have as sure and as certain and as loving of a standing with the Father as Jesus Himself has. And he's not, he's not falling out with the Father at any point in all eternity. What an incredibly sure point. Can you imagine what it would be like to know that gracious love and to trust it and not doubt it? Have you ever had that moment where you get some bad news and you think to yourself, yep, God's after me. You know, I just live a cursed existence of some sort. You know, I try to do something right and then the other shoe falls in some way. And it's just this sort of cosmic um, trick that God in the universe is playing against me. Do you know what that is? That's, that's faithless. Nothing in your life has ever happened like that. God doesn't work with His people that way. Yes, does He bring pain into your life and difficulty in your life? You better believe He does. But He does it as a loving Father and care for His children. Isn't that what He tells us? That even the disciplinary strokes of our God is to produce a harvest of righteousness in our life. It comes from a heart of love. What would it look like to actually believe that we were loved this deeply? Well, it would believe it would, we would begin to have such peace that in the midst of the turmoils and sufferings and when the wheels come off in our own lives, we would be able to say, I have peace that surpasses all comprehension because I know the love of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know where my standing is with Him. I'm looking beyond the pale of the temporal into the eternal. I have an eye of faith. Love with faith, He says, from the Lord Jesus and, yes, the Father. You know, this is the, the glory of what it means to actually be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in that kind of peace, to live in that kind of freedom. I ran across a quote this week from John Beveridge. It's a quote that sometimes is uh, credited to John Bunyan, but really can't find Bunyan saying it, as far as I can tell. He's summarizing this relationship of grace and, and law and what it, what it means to live in this love, ultimately that's incorruptible. You'll see, we'll see that here as we conclude. But listen to what Beveridge says. He says, Run and work the law commands. That's what the law commands. Run and work the law commands. Yet the law gives me neither feet nor hands. Hear it. Run and work the law commands. Telling me to run. Telling me to work. But it doesn't give me feet. It doesn't give me hands. It's going to be hard to run and work without feet and hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. What a lovely quote. What's the news that the gospel brings? The gospel tells us that Jesus kept the law. 
He did all the work. It was his hands and his feet that completed all that the law has commanded. And now it comes to you graciously. The news to you graciously is that Jesus has done it all. It is finished. The sweeter news of the gospel is now it says, you can fly. You can fly. And it lends you the wings. It gives you the wings. You see, that's what it's like to live in the love of God, isn't it? That's what it's like to live in faith of the love of God, receiving His grace. Do you, do you sense the peace of that? Do you sense the freedom of that? No matter what context in which you're in, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and that's registering with you, you can't help but know the peace of that. And the beauty of that reality is that that produces within you, notice what he says, a love incorruptible. (laughs) Now it's almost disturbing here as we conclude, but well, I think we'll find peace here too. Notice verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now you could read that and say, (laughs) so grace comes to those who love Jesus incorruptibly. That's bad news. Because you and I love Him in corrupting ways. Ways that are not undying, ways that are not perfect. But notice what He's actually already told us. He says here, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Where does this love come from? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that love is in you. Grace is that love, full of grace, to all who know the love of that grace. That love and grace resides in you to such a degree that it will never die or be corrupted. What's the love that's actually inside of you? Is it your love for Christ? If you have a love for Christ, is that your love that you are loving Christ with? Do you know whose love it is? It's Christ's love in you. And that's an incorruptible love. If you have love for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I'm here to tell you that's not of you. That's Christ's love at work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's going to happen? The fullness of that love is going to grow throughout the course of your life until the day where it is completely perfect and is undying and will never be corrupted. So I speak grace to you who love the Lord Jesus Christ because His love is already in you. With a love that's incorruptible. Only Christ's love is incorruptible, you see. And His love is in you. Love Him with the love by which He has loved you. Love Him with the love by which He has loved you. If you have been sitting around going, I wish I could love Jesus more, you will never love Him more. Ponder His love. Meditate on His love. Feed on His love. And as you have that love dwelling within you, you know what happens? That love begins to overcome your heart and your life. And it grows and it never dies and it never corrupts. That love will see you all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. You see, that's where Paul has set his sights. Paul's not sure whether he's going to see the church at Ephesus again in the temporal world. But Paul is sure that he's going to see the church at Ephesus again in the incorruptible world, where what Jonathan Edwards called heaven 
a world of love. That's where we're headed, friends. The world of love. We're headed unto heaven. In the midst of a battle, there's no doubt a spiritual war. Many of us just Tychicuses. No names. But we have the love of Christ inside of us. And it's a love that lasts into eternity. You see, your name may not be remembered in the annals of history. But the love which Christ has placed in your heart will never be corrupted. And that will last into eternity. Today we have hope and we have meaning. That God has sent someone to us. His name is not Tychicus. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has sent someone to us. It shows us His love. And now, through that one He has sent, He has poured out the grace of peace into our lives. May the peace of God be yours in Christ Jesus today as we walk by faith in His love. Father in heaven, I pray that you indeed would lead us in just that way as we submit our hearts to you this day. As we learn from this your word and as we ask you to grow us more into the likeness of Jesus, the one who has loved us so well. Come Lord now and renew us by your grace as we prepare to sup with you at the table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.